I want to start off with a little story. So you might have noticed we've got a few little ones who are here this morning. So kids, I'm going to tell a story, and I have a prize for the person, for the kid who can tell me who the story is about. So, but you cannot guess until I'm done with the story, and I will only accept answers from boys and girls who raise their hands, okay? So here's, here's, the, uh, here's the story that, that I'm going to start with. There's this, there's this kid, and he was kind of a younger, he was an older kid, um, like not quite 12 yet, but, but fairly, you know, not, not like a three-year-old though. So he, he's this kid who, he has 11 brothers, 11 all right, and he kept saying things to them that really got on their nerves. It was something that just really, really flustered them. And so he kept saying things that got on their nerves to the point where they were like, we can't take this kid anymore. So as he's getting older, they actually take their brother and they throw him into this pit. And their original plan was, we're going to kill him. I know, terrible brothers, right? And they're going to kill him. Well, while uh, he's in the pit, they see some slave traders passing by, and they said, you know what, we could kill him, but he's our flesh and blood, he's our brother, we shouldn't do that. What if instead we sold him into slavery? Not only do we get rid of him, we don't have to listen to him anymore, but we make some money out of it too. So they sell him. So this kid who, I mean, didn't really do anything wrong, gets sold into slavery, and he now has a master. He ends up going to this pretty wealthy, powerful nation, and he gets uh, a slave master who's actually a really good guy. And, and this kid starts growing up, becomes a young man, a teenager, probably an older teenager. He's doing well for himself. He's doing really well. And, but as, as a part of that, this master puts this kid in charge of all the other slaves. So he's kind of the head slave in the house, which was a big honor at this time. And so then while he's doing his, his work, his master's out of the house. Well, his master's wife comes to him. And his master's wife looked at this kid, this head slave, and, well, she liked what she saw. And she goes to the kid, she goes to this young man and said, I want to leave my husband and I want to be with you instead. How would you like that? And he said, look, I, no, I, you promised yourself to your husband. You, you seem really nice, but... I am not interested in that. You belong to your husband, and I'm not going to lay a finger on you. Well, this wife gets really mad. She was not okay with this because she was used to getting her way all the time. So she instead goes to her husband and says, hey, this head slave that you love so much who does such a good job, he tried to get with me. He tried to steal me away for himself instead of me belonging to you. And the slave master was livid. And, and this and this young man goes and says, but I, I, no, that didn't happen. And he said, I don't care. I believe my wife and not you. So he takes this young man who was betrayed by his brothers, sent into slavery, then uh, betrayed by his master's wife, and he gets thrown into prison. And he hadn't really done anything all that wrong. And while he's in prison, he starts making friends with the other prisoners. And despite all these bad things, he just kind of stays the course and continues to believe that God's going to take care of him. And while he's in prison, they, at this time, they really were big on dreams. When you have dreams, what does that mean? What is, what is God saying in your life? So Joseph helped some of the prisoners there with dreams. Yeah, I know, I just said it. Dadgummit. So now we're going to know which kids are actually paying attention. So, 
So this kid, so this young man, then goes and uh, while these prisoners eventually get out of prison, they go tell this king of the land about this guy who's in prison who tells people about dreams. Because the king of the land at that time, he had a dream. He's like, I don't understand what's going on. I need someone to help me understand what's happening. So I remember, oh, wait, I remember this guy in prison who told me about dreams. You know, hey, you should talk to this guy. So, the, so this king pulls this guy back in and said, hey, tell me about this dream. And the guy then says, here's exactly what God told me about what this dream is. And as a result, this king then says, you know what? Because of what's going to take place, I, I want to put you in charge of everything that our country is going to have to do to prepare for what's coming because this guy said a famine's coming. As in, no one, we're not going to have any food. But before that we're not having food, we're going to have a lot of food. So if you save some of the a lot of food, abundance, then you'll have some when we don't have any. And as a result, this young man plans perfectly and does really, really well with, with what was allotted to him. And as a result, this young man who went from brother to slave to prisoner and now to second highest in that country because he was just convinced of what God had in store for him. I'm going to stop right there in the story. So boys and girls, I will only accept those who have raised their hands. Does anyone, can anyone tell me who the story is about, especially considering I already told you. Yeah. Joseph, bingo. Brandon, my man. Nailed it. So I'm going to ask one more question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round of applause. Go back. Go, go back to napping. That works. So I'm done. I already got it. I'll tell you what. So I already gave that one away. So that was cheating. So uh, the king of that land at the time it was a country called Egypt. And in Egypt, they don't call kings kings. They call them something else. So if you can tell me, I have this Rice Krispie treat that I thought I'd bring. I had more sugary stuff, but parents, I'm gracious, okay? And I didn't want any parents to hate me. So this isn't that bad. There's a little bit. But, um, and if you don't like that, I have a year's supply of communion bread. That's the good kind. I can give you that too. All right. Um, whose hand is back there? Amory, is that you? Amory, what do they call kings in Egypt? Come and get it, buddy. Pharaoh is correct. Good job. So, so I want to tell a little, uh, as a part of Joseph's story, something that he held on to during all those years was, was this hurt. Because at the very center of this was this feeling like I didn't really do anything and my brothers betrayed me so deeply. And so as a result of this story, and, and as a result of what happens, Joseph becomes second highest in Egypt. Only Pharaoh has more power than him. And so it gets really interesting when Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery show up in Egypt saying, we need food, we don't have any. And they don't recognize the person they're telling that to, their brother. Now Joseph immediately knew it was them. And there's this story of Joseph, when you look at what takes place, Joseph was thinking, it's revenge time, baby. Let's go. And so he immediately says, you're spies, throws them all into prison. And then after this, he's like, you know what, I'll give you a chance to prove you're not spies. Go home. You left one of your brothers behind. Go find that brother and bring him back with you. Then I'll know you're not spies. 
So they do that, they come back, he brings them back, and he sabotages their journey back with the food by taking the money and the goods that they gave, putting it back in their sacks with the food and saying, you stole that food because you still have your money. Brings them back again and prepares to put them in an area, but at this point and throughout the story, Joseph so many different times would go into a room by himself and weep bitterly because revenge doesn't solve anything. It actually makes it a little worse. Until finally he couldn't take it anymore and he tells all the Egyptians, he holds this big feast for the brothers. He tells all the Egyptians, get out. They all leave and he looks at his brothers and he says, it's me, it's Joseph. How's my father doing? I I can't take this anymore. Y'all are my brothers. I can't exact revenge anymore. I cannot do this. And I, and I share this story because there is a family aspect, there is a hurt aspect that took place in Joseph's life that was deep. I mean, imagine your own family saying, we would rather you be a slave than continue to be our brother. And that's the option that the brothers took. And Joseph did say some offensive things along the way. He kind of passively said, I fully expect you, my older brothers, to bow to me one day, which did happen because they didn't recognize him when they went to Egypt and bowed. But they didn't like hearing that at the time. And so this hurt just set and set and set. I realized when I was talking, when I decided that I was going to preach about church hurt, when I was going to share some of this, I realized I don't think it's right that I can share, here's how you respond to church hurt, unless I share a little bit of my journey with it myself. Which is why I've invited a friend from a church that I've worked at in the past. If you guys wouldn't mind, would you help me welcome Mr. Larry Wells up to the stage? So I'm going to give a little um, breakdown of, of Larry and, and our, our position. So Larry is a physician in, in Huntsville, Texas, uh, now part-time, right? Sorry? Are you part-time? part-time? Yeah, yeah. Sort of, more or less. Uh, depends on the week, essentially. So, uh, and one of the things I told him this a, a couple weeks ago is that I love about, about Larry is as a doctor, he has delivered some of the worst news that human beings can hear. He's had to tell, as part of the job description, your loved one is not going to make it. Um, and, and if you can share those kinds of things with people and their loved ones, then you can be very truthful. And so Larry's very forthcoming. He's very truthful. Um, and, and not in a, I tell it like it is, meaning I'm just really negative. He's a tell it like it is, is in that if he thinks something is wonderful, he's going to tell you it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And if he thinks something's not good, he's going to say, that's not very good. And so um, do you want to say a little bit more about your role as a shepherd and kind of our beginning, kind of our story together? Y'all are lucky to have this guy here. Uh, He was sort of almost like a a son I didn't have when he came. He and Ashley bought a house, but they weren't married yet, so Casey got to live with us for a while. (laughs) I talked to him and go ahead and and marrying that woman, and and it was very nice and stuff. we you went, talked us into moving the wedding up by two months, yeah, which everyone in church thought we were on baby bump watch <laughs> as a result of that. We were not, but <laughs> that was the belief. <laughs> it just, you know, I was watching out for him. It was just not healthy to be apart from things mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we went on mission trips, Honduras, Haiti, various other places. Uh, when he needed something difficult to be talked to to the kids, he knew who to come talk to him. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's uh, that's our relationship. I uh, love the guy. 
Ashley and the kids um, yeah. love them very much. And so, Thank you. And, and I will say about this guy as a shepherd, Larry is, um, when it comes to visiting people, loving on them, he's world class. He's one of the best shepherds I've ever seen in, in reaching out to individuals. He has a special gift and skill set in that he can go to people and say, how are you feeling? And automatically it's, you know, this part of my body hurts, but it also opens up opportunities for you to say, but spiritually, uh, you know, things that are more important, the body breaks down, just it's a fact of life. So how are, how is, how are you doing spiritually? And, and he was able to um, love on people in some of these deep, deep ways and special ways. And so he is world-class at that. So um, that was my first full-time church ministry gig was I was the youth minister at Huntsville Church of Christ for five years. And during that time, um, everything, like I, I, I love doing youth ministry there. Everything was, was going really, really well. I, and we went through a lot of transition during that time. Uh, a year or two after I started uh, all the ministers except for me ended up taking jobs elsewhere. And so it was, it was just me during, uh, you know, staff meetings were pretty lonely and <laughs> we, we got things, but we still, we still managed. We had a really, really wonderful interim preaching minister. If you guys know Forty Grove, he, he came for a while. Forty's passed about a year ago, but um, we, we were still able to kind of right the ship in a number of ways. And so one of the beauties of, uh, of, of our relationship too was, and he kind of mentioned this, but during my time there, when I was going to do mission work, if I was going to scout out a place, he would not let me go by myself. That was his big rule. He was not okay with me going to a foreign country. Even if I knew people in the country, he was not cool with me traveling by myself. And so there were actually times, a trip where I said, you know, hey, we think we might be working with an orphanage in Haiti this coming summer. I found a cheap deal. We're going to go down there and, and do this trip. And he, his first question was, who's going with you? I said, no one. He said, well, I am now. And so he just purchased a ticket and jumped on. And it was trips like that that I thought made it so special. I'm in the works of trying to convince him to come to Honduras with us this coming summer. Um, we're, it's a work in progress. We're going to get there. So, uh, but that being said, everything went really, went really well and it was wonderful um, and I guess I'll kind of start the, the circle of this, of, of where some of my hurt took place. So it was fall of 2017, and I got a call from a pretty decent-sized church in northern Alabama. And they said, we are interested in talking to you about coming and working with our youth ministry at our church. This is a pretty big church. At the time, uh, their youth ministry was the same size as Huntsville Church of Christ, about uh, like at the time, like 250 people or so. There was that many students in the youth ministry at that time, and they said, we want to talk. Um, because of a number of things that occurred, long story short, it really seemed like God had just lined things up for this to happen. And uh, long story short, it fell apart in a pretty rough way. And as a part of that, um, I really thought that God was speaking to me really clearly about I was ready. He'd been preparing me. Uh, this was what he wanted me to do. I'd already become friends with several of the staff members and, and people there. I had some family members who were at that church. It fell apart. And uh, for lack of a better term, I just felt a distance from God and from people. Um, if, you've read, if you do theolo theological reading, St. John of the Cross talks about dark night of the soul. That, that's a lot of what I was going through at the time. And so as a result, 
I started to distance myself, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Uh, what was that like as a shepherd watching me do this? He just checked out. Uh, where You know how he is. He walks into a room, and you know he's in the room because he's talking to somebody. He's interacting and stuff like that. No, Casey, head down, walking down the hall, he'd walk right by everybody because he was, he was checked out. <laughs> and so as a part of this, I, I, I didn't know how to, I struggled to rebound from what took place. Um, and, and looking back, if I could do it all over again, I would have gone to the leaders and said, I need some time off just to recalibrate, refocus. Uh, but I didn't do that. And instead, I, as not just, you know, head hanging and, and not really wanting to talk to anyone, um, I, I kind of went into a shell. So, um, and so what was it like as a shepherd trying to communicate that to, <laughs> to me? Um, anything we said was taken as a, a criticism, a, an attack. We could not break through that shell. And so everything we tried and... And like I told you, I love this guy. And mm-hmm. we tried to tell things in love, but it's not perceived that way. And you never realize it until after the fact that when you say something that you think was said as kindly as possible, that it was re- received completely differently. And, and the, mm-hmm. the reports we get back is, well, y'all did this, told him this and told him that. And I'm going, that's not what we said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, but that's how it's perceived. And so there's where you got to be careful because what's said is not always what's heard. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, I, I had a few meetings with Larry and, and the other shepherds at, at Huntsville. And um, during two or three of those meetings, I felt like um, I felt some things were said that, were real, that cut really deep, that... Uh, I felt like I had given a lot of my life, our, our family's life, a lot of my time to the ministry and to the church. And it's fascinating when you, when you sit down with a group of people, um, what you hear and what you don't hear. Because, uh, and, we, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the stuff that I heard you say in those meetings were very fair and were very correct. And we talked about this, but I heard other people say some things that, that cut a little deeper. In, in some ways that I took really personally. And, and as a result, what they intended, what the elders intended to communicate to me of, we love you. We know that there's more to you than this. We can see that this is not the best version of yourself um, is what their intent to communicate was. I took as you suck at your job. Um, I, I heard as the, the struggles that our church and our young families and our youth ministry have, they are directly a result of you and your terrible performance. Um, what was the actual message? Somewhere in the middle, I think, <laughs> in a number of ways. But um, at that point, there was this divide that took place. And, and we talked, I think we said a little bit of this, but Here's what made this so hard for both sides. He shared a little bit of, you know, he's got two daughters. And, and so he never had a, a son, uh, you know, he never raised a, a son. And he has two great son-in-laws, but he never really raised a son. Well, for, you know, what, three, four months, I kind of was in, in some ways. But in addition to that, um, our wedding, it, we only invited 50 people, something like that. 
50 people, and of those 50 people, other than family, only the shepherds and their wives and, and other ministry staff were invited to that. No one else was welcome there. And, um, and so, like, they were, you know, they were some of the first people outside of our family that we told when we were expecting children. When I ran into problems because I went from single bachelor living in a one-bedroom apartment in one city to new job, new city, married, uh, first-time homeowner, and two children in like four months. That's, that's the amount of transition I had. They were the guys I went and, and like, were like, hey, what do I do when the girls cry? <laughs> and, and they were the ones who said, okay, let's, let's talk about this because, you know, they'd been through the, the child stuff. And... Uh, and, you know, they were the ones who, not only when they'd ask, you know, how are things? And I'd tell them, here's my ministry. And they were the ones who said, no, no, no. How's your family? How's your wife doing? How's your kids doing? Um, what's school like for the girls? And they were the ones who, who asked these things. So when this divide took place, it wasn't, the hurt existed on both sides. Um, because and it's a weird dynamic between ministers and elders in that, Technically speaking, elders are, are bosses, but you're shepherds first. Can you say more about that? That's a really hard line to, to, to decide on because we are responsible for how a church functions and survives and, and have to hold the staff accountable, but they're, they're sheep first. Mm -hmm. And so you never want to hurt a sheep. You always want to do the best for them. And so it really is one of the hardest things that, that a shepherd gets to do. And uh, so, uh, and especially like you say, we, we watched this kid grow up. Are you sure you were 20 already when you came? I mean, <laughs> he was really young. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it's something that, uh, that it was hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that was, those conversations, I think some of the final conversations were March or April of 2018. Um, I struggled with arrogance at that. I still do. But I, especially during that time, I struggled deeply. I know, right? And I struggled. I was watching Ashley nod. I know. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, babe. Um, so I, I struggled, I struggled especially during then because I'm sitting here thinking I don't, I was in denial. I, ha, I don't have problems. I, I'm not the reason that these things are taking place. And I thought that I had built up a really good case of why I wasn't struggling and why I wasn't doing anything wrong. And yet, um, during these meetings, I think some elders were, were hey, here's some things that we just, we'd love to see different. And then others were a little more coarse about some of the conversations. And so I, I instead listened to the ones who were coarse. I didn't listen to the gentle ones. I heard the coarse ones. And it's, whenever you're hearing criticism from a group of people, you always hear the one who's the most negative. Have you ever noticed that? Like just in general. Um, and, and that's the, like, if you're on social media, the things that you remember on social media are usually the most negative things that you end up seeing as a part of that. That's a lot of what I heard. And so in my arrogance, I decided I can do better. And so I'm going to prove it. And so I began looking, um, through looking to, to talk to other churches. And I looked exclusively at churches bigger because somehow that's better. It's not, but I told myself it was, and, um, Went through a horrendous journey after that, uh, talking with different churches. Uh, I made a joke with Ashley a few months ago. I've been turned down by more churches than women at this point in my life. <laughs> and, uh, 
But as a result, we ended up, we ended up leaving, and I left extremely bitter, extremely. So I want to go back, though, to the verse that Brody read to start worship. He read from Matthew 5, and Jesus says this. He said, if you are approaching the altar of God with a sacrifice, and you have an issue with your brother or your sister, leave the altar, leave the sacrifice, go reconcile it first. 2021 was an entire year of talking with spiritual mentors and guides for me while I was in San Antonio. Of, uh, I, I felt like God was preparing to do something in my life. That was what I, I genuinely felt the Spirit saying that. But I also felt the Spirit saying one other thing. God was telling me one other thing. I will not do these things until you atone and you reconcile things with your brothers and sisters for things you have done in the past. Because my struggle with church hurt, it wasn't what had been done to me. It was what I had done to other people and had justified it. One of the hardest parts about leaving Huntsville, besides this hurt where this father and mentor loss that took place, was when we left Huntsville, I had to ask my wife to leave her dream job for nothing at the time. It became something else. But at the time, I had to ask her to leave the job that she loved more than any other job in the world to leave it for nothing. And so 2021, through a lot of stuff that I went through personally, um, I sat down and apologized to my wife. I hunted down a guy who I was a bit of a bully to in high school. Um, I hunted him down to sit down and take him to lunch and to apologize to him for things I said and did. Um, but I knew the final one I had to do, the one I wanted to do the least. <laughs> and so uh, January of this year, um, I told the preaching minister who kind of watched as a neutral party, uh, I, I called him and said, I want to crash an elders meeting at Huntsville Church of Christ. And I want to walk in unannounced because I don't want them to feel like they have to put up a defense for what happened because they don't need to defend themselves at all. And I walked in and looked all four or five, five, four, yeah, five, all five elders, uh, one of whom wasn't an elder at the time. I apologize to him anyway. Um, and I looked in the eye with tears streaming down my eyes. It only took me three years to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I said and did some things that I should not have done. And so much of my church hurt that took place it stemmed from something that I did in the first place. And the hurt that I experienced probably would not have taken place had I just owned my own faults. What was that like for you? It was one of the sweetest uh, evenings. Elders meetings usually aren't very sweet. Uh, uh, <laughs> they drag on and on. We could have stayed all night with Casey. It was, it was just one of those joyous things. And one of our biggest questions to you was, how's Ashley with us? Mm -hmm. is, is she okay with us? Because some of the hurt was felt there too. And we, mm -hmm. we knew that. And, and, but to have, have this, this kid show us what you're supposed to do is also so humbling because we're supposed to be old and wise. Uh, did any of us come to you and apologize 
ahead of time? No, because we often get shown by younger people who listen to God better sometimes uh, on how the right way should be done. And so uh, we, we consistently over the years are astounded by our youth minister or our college minister saying things we go, that should have come out of one of our mouths, not these younger guys. And so that was the case that night. It was, a, it was a, an evening of joy, an evening of weightlifting and, uh, off of our hearts, and it was just um, one of the highlight evenings of being a shepherd. Mm. Yeah. And that was the cool thing is as I'm apologizing with tears streaming down my eyes, I look in that room and I see those same tears coming down the eyes of those shepherds. And as I said, I, I'm sorry, I handled some things poorly. Um, the, the whole time I kept thinking, surely they'll apologize to me. But then I realized I kind of started on this myself. And so you know what? Guys, I'm sorry. And then they took turns and went around the room and they apologized to me. They said, we probably handled some things poorly too. And we're sorry for what we did. We hugged. We prayed. Um, I told them that that was not my attempt at getting my youth ministry job back. During that time, they have a youth minister now. He's doing really great. Uh, I love hearing how things are going for him. But I knew, I felt God telling me, I'm going to do something special in your life, but I'm not going to do it until you reconcile things with your brothers and sisters. Got in my car after we left. I actually drove to another elder who, had, who worships at a different church, but he was elder at the time we left. I drove to his house that night and squared things off with him as well. We talked it out too. Um, got in my car, cried my eyes out. Went back to San Antonio. And the week after that, a guy by the name of Alan Calvert called on behalf of the Cinco Ranch Church of Christ's preaching minister search team. And we started a conversation. And that brings us to 11.02 right now. And so I, want, I wanted so much for this. You know, no, you had something that you wanted to share that you were talking about before that. I just wanted to really appreciate the, the verse that was read in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, when he teaches about the, how to pray. It says, uh, forgive us as we forgive those who forgive others. Uh, Jesus said, if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly father. Matthew 18, not just if you're at the altar and you realize that someone else has something against you, but if in 18, if you've got something against somebody else, go to them. We're supposed to go to people we have a problem with, whether it was my fault or his fault. We're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, and then, Right after that passage in Matthew 18, it goes straight into the, the part about the uh, unmerciful servant, you know, forgiven $10 million and wants to throw the other guy in jail mm-hmm. for 100 bucks. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't forgive each other from the heart, not just by word, not just saying things, but driving to people's houses and coming to town and, and really with tears in your eyes saying, I'm sorry, uh, we jeopardize our ability to to lean on God's forgiveness, even with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, because if we don't forgive, he knows we don't really mean it, and it's got to come from the heart. And so I really appreciate Casey asking me to Mm -hmm. come. Uh, 
I had a had somebody in my church that came up to me one time and says, what's wrong between us? I said, all you do is you walk away when I come up and you don't ever say hi anymore and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I am sorry. I never did that once that I know of. I usually have two or three things on my mind when I'm walking down the hall. And I, I am, you know, what can I do to make it right? I can promise you that was never done intentionally. He said, well, we were planning on moving our membership because we were so offended by the way you ignored us. And uh, Ken Fletcher. Uh, and so <laughs> this guy. Good sweet, thing we're not live streaming this right uh, now. <laughs> so, but we, we cleared it up. He did right. He came to me and said, what's wrong? Yeah. yeah. And we stayed friends until he passed. A uh, wonderful man. But if he had not come and talked to me and asked me and allowed me to clear that there wasn't a problem, mm -hmm. we'd have split and never been able to reconcile. Mm -hmm. So please, what does all these scriptures tell you? If you've got a problem with somebody, and especially within your church family or your family, just if the, the wider family of, of Christianity, of whatever, if you know somebody and you've got something against them, or you know they're mad at you about something, fix it. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Not just ignore it, it's going to go away, mm -hmm. time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Go fix that. So that's my little preaching. Thank you. Um, if you don't mind, I, I don't think due to uh, the shepherds that we have here, they are, I believe, spending time with family this Sunday. Would you mind praying over this? You can be the stand-in shepherd for this, Happy to. just for this Sunday, this Sunday only, Okay. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind uh, praying over us, and uh, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. So now, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to put my hands on my friend here. Appreciate it, man. Lord, God in heaven. It is so wonderful to meet new brothers and sisters in Christ. It is so wonderful mm -hmm. to know that, Lord, you are God of not just... Tinkle Ranch or Huntsville or mm -hmm. Texas or U.S., but you're God of the universe, that you yes. have the ability, the love, the, the unbelievable, amazing ability to create everything together and hold it together. And we praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for having the wisdom to put us in church families and in physical families. And help us, Lord, to watch out for those that either we have something that we're upset about or we know they're upset with us about something. Help us, Lord, to be peacemakers. We want to be called children of God. Please, Lord, be with this church. I ask mm -hmm. for your spirit to fill this church yes, God. with love and compassion, but especially courage to go to each other and say, we've got something we need to fix. Help us, Lord, to be transparent, to be humble, and to put on love as that outer garment in everything we do, we need to have the, the love and the peace that you only can give. And in all mm -hmm. these things, may we be thankful. I pray this for this church and for your, your family throughout the world. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You'll give, show your appreciation to this guy for coming out here. Um, hey. Kiddos, y'all have been awesome, okay? Y'all have been quiet. Some of you, I think, have even been paying attention, and that is, that is fantastic. I, I've been really, really impressed with you guys. Uh, like I said, this, uh, to start, this is going to be kind of a two-part thing. There's no way I can kind of dive into this because 
Ultimately, we want to be a church who enables healing. Uh, because if we stopped right here and right now, it's just, I, I feel like a lot of this is reconciliation. But there's a few things that I, I want to talk about. Um, you know, I was looking through scripture and I thought, you know, there's not a whole lot of Bible verses that directly speak on church hurt. And I think this is really important because in, in the short time that I've been working here, that I, that I have served this church, something that I have heard from a lot of people is hurt that they have experienced in church. Maybe here, maybe from other churches. And if you haven't experienced that, I can all but guarantee you that you know someone who has. So the very first thing I want to say is church hurt is real. It really is a thing. And, and if you haven't experienced that, wonderful. I am thrilled for you. But it does exist. And when I think about church hurt, where is scripture that talks directly about that? There's a lot of unity. There's a lot of inclusion. But you know what person in scripture understands church hurt better than anyone? It's Jesus. And, and let me start by saying it's not, well, Jesus, because Jesus knows everything. No, not that. Well, I guess. But that's not ultimately Why? So when you think about who was Jesus's church, who was the people that he shared life with while worshiping and praising God? So when you think about it this way, if you said his church was just his 12 apostles, one of the people within his church was one of the men who sold Jesus away to be arrested and crucified one of his own church members. And if that's not enough, when you think about like a, we have life groups here at our church, for those of you, if you're interested in this, I highly recommend you join or, or even just test out a life group, which is, which is a group of typically uh, 10 to 20 adults, usually. Some are like 40, it's impressive, but um, whatever the size it might be, it's a smaller group of people for you to easier connect because we have around 175 people every Sunday morning. And so that's a lot of names to remember. It's a lot of people, and, and we're actually, we're growing too, and so it just adds more names to the list. I get paid to know these names, and I don't know all these names, but don't tell the church, okay? And, and so it's difficult, but these life groups is where you have that. If Jesus had 12 people, well, someone within his life group betrayed him to be arrested, and then while he's being arrested, there's someone who was within this intimate group. And some of you might know this, where you might have two, three, four individuals whom you are especially close with. They know everything that goes on in your life, the things that you don't want anyone to know. These are the people you trust with that information. And one of those people was asked, hey, you know this Jesus, one of your, you know, one of your best friends, right, Peter, who said, yeah, I have no idea who that guy is. Three different times. I don't know who you're talking about. And so it's not just the omniscient side of Jesus who understands church hurt. Jesus experienced it firsthand, and we're all still breathing. So I don't know that we ever had this, but what is the first conversation that Jesus has with Peter after his resurrection? But three different times again, do you not just know me, do you love me? Jesus understands church hurt. So number one, church hurt is real. And I'll also say this, as you've kind of heard in my story, church hurt affects more than just those who are directly involved. 
it wasn't just me who experienced church hurt. My wife, my kids, um, the, the shepherds, their wives knew about this too. Other members within the church were directly affected by some of these things. And so if you're sitting here saying, no one's ever done anything to me, but someone uh, did something to my, my spouse or my sibling or my child, how many of us know people who have left church altogether because of something that happened, not even to them, but to someone you deeply love? It's a real thing. And so the last thing that I want to say to this uh, as, as our praise team, y'all can come on back out. We're about, to, we're about to be done. God invites us to engage church hurt. Engage it. But to do something different with it. Okay? Oftentimes the, the word that we, the, the phrase that we hear is conflict resolution. Now that can be good. It can be. But I want to invite you to look at conflict a different way. Conflict transformation. How are we allowing the Spirit of God to transform us in the conflict that we are experiencing in church hurt? And what part of this is drawing us toward or away from the cross of Jesus Christ? And I want to say, my church hurt, like I said, a lot of this was my doing. I did it. That being said, there are some of you, maybe some of you here today or or who are going to watch this playback, who are thinking, I didn't do it though. And you don't have to look very far in the news to find plenty of people who as children were deeply hurt by church, church leaders, church members, and did nothing. But God invites you to experience healing anyway. One of my favorite things about the gospel is just how whole and new God makes broken things. So I'm going to invite you, if you wouldn't mind, to stand. Go ahead and stand up. Um, and, and we're going to sing a song, but as part two of, of next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like as a church to allow, for us to become a place where healing can take place. Part of that starts with reconciliation. Part of that starts with us trying to say, I, I, maybe there's something that I did. And some of you might be thinking, but I, I didn't do that. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. But at the same time, What does it look like for God to redeem and make this something very new? And what does it look like for this church to receive those who say, I'm ready to nail this thing to the cross with the rest of my sins? Because that is one of the most beautiful yet difficult things that God invites us to do. So um, I'm wary about having an invitation to come down front because if there's something between you and someone else, it, it might not need to be brought to in front of this particular body at this time. And I want to respect people's privacy during that time. At the same time, if you have Alexio, you have my phone number. I was going to throw my number up on the, on the screen. We don't have that right now. I'll also be here in the back if, if you want to tell me more about what took place. And here's what I want us to do. We're, I'm inviting each of us to not remain angry. But the beauty of this, when God, when Jesus says, let's reconcile these differences... He actually, recon- he doesn't say, when he says reconcile, he doesn't give a time frame. Isn't that great? It took me three years to get to this. And some of you might not be at that point. Some of you might be past that point. He invites us to reconcile, but not immediately. Yes, Jesus does it, and I recommend you do that. But sometimes hurts take time. I can forgive someone for spilling a drink in my lap, 
somewhere between, it'll take me somewhere between one and ten minutes, depending on how hot the drink is, okay? But some things hurt deeper and they cut deeper. And so I'd invite you to shoot a text to me, to one of our staff members, to one of our shepherds, or maybe someone else whom you trust here. Because this is a place where we want to invite healing because once we have experienced that, we can share it with other people. And this community needs healing from church hurt. Desperately. And so perhaps that's why Jesus said, after a whole lot of people left him, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Let's sing about that. And if you'd like, text me during this time and we'll talk about it.